Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Chris Rossin from Stick Your Guns and formerly of Walls of Jericho. Chris is one of these people that I guess you could call a hardcore lifer. He's been in the scene for, you know, 20, 25 years. I've known him for maybe about seven or eight years. So I just wanted to sit down with him and kind of talk about what it means to be one of these hardcore lifers, what it means to be someone who's our age that's spent half your life in the scene, in his case, playing in bands. So we talked about that, what made the 90s hardcore scene special to us, why we're excited about the state of hardcore today, and also some grown-up stuff like what happens when you have a kid, how does that change you, some stuff like that. So if that sounds interesting to you, then stick around, you're going to enjoy this one. Also, I wanted to give a shout out to the show's editor and producer, Deanna Chapman. If you need help putting your podcast together, I would highly recommend giving her a call. You can find her at DeannaChapman.com. That's D-E-A-N-N-A-C-H-A-P-M-A-N.com. You can also find the link to that in the show notes. Thank you, as always, to Deanna for all her help. The show definitely could not happen without her. So yeah, with that out of the way, let's get into it. All right, so here we are in my car uh, outside the show. You guys are playing tonight with Beartooth and Motionless and White. First day of the tour. Thanks for squeezing this in. I appreciate it. You just got done being sweaty and jumping around. Yep, yep. <laughs> You're killing it with your your podcast. Boys. My, hey, everybody. Right? <laughs> welcome back. Please welcome Chris from Stick to Your Guns, the podcast. <laughs> so last time you were here with uh, Knock Loose, and who else was on that? It was uh, Knock Loose, Rotting Out. Uh, Candy was on. Uh, yeah, that, Candy and CU Space Cowboy. Yes. Yeah. So this is a little bit of a departure. You know, that felt to me like a hardcore tour. This is obviously more of like a rock tour. Yeah, that one's for sure like our vibe. And yeah. this one is like uh, trying to win new people over. Right. Well, we've known each other for a long time. And I want to talk about like something that you mentioned to me when we were talking about that uh, Knock Loose show. And then I made a video about it, which is just about how that show to me felt like a show from 97 in all the good ways. And you said that, a few other people said that, and you mentioned that you were excited about that because you wanted to like bring back the vibe of like the golden years of, you know, the victory scene. And yeah, most people listening to this are probably not old enough to have experienced that firsthand. So I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, about that era and why it is special to you and me and I don't know, just kind of explore that a little bit because I think a lot of people will be interested in that. All right. <laughs> Where do you want to start with that? Well, so one thing that's interesting about you is you are very mild-mannered, like, nice human, you know? I try to be. <laughs> and But you grew up in one of the most fucked-up parts of the 90s hardcore scene, the, like, greater Detroit area. 
Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about what that scene was like and how you being, I mean, unless you were a crazy person back then, which I don't think you were, how did you kind of fit in with all that? I don't know. When I first started going to shows, I was definitely scared, you know? Like, Probably for good reason. Yeah, like it, that was part of the excitement of it. So for me, it was like I was real young in like, I would say early to mid 90s. That's like the like gangster rap is becoming popular, like all that stuff. So it's like lots of macho-ness in like mainstream music, I guess. And the first bands, the bands that I was already into, like I was getting into, like I was I was more of a metal kid getting into like Biohazard, you know, which has like a street vibe and all that shit. And then from there, it's like I got into bands like Coldest Life, which would be like local heroes for us. But as like a, I don't know, 15 year old, I thought in my head, which is a terrible way to think, like I was just like, oh, this is what I'm going to do when I when I grow up, I'm going to get face tattoos and like, can't wait. Like, no one's going to stop me. This is going to be awesome. And then luckily for me, I find I start going to shows in like Detroit and all those people are very nice to me. But then I find kids that I realize are more like me. Like I see myself in them. And those are like the younger straight edge kids and everything. And then I re I just started gravitating towards that versus like going like, oh, these guys I don't want to like shit talk anybody of my uh sound like I'm shit talking anybody who legitimately has fucked up lives. It's just not who we are. I kind yeah. of have the same thing. It's like, oh, that's Yeah, it's cool. like I saw it and I, I it's almost like uh I saw it as like a, a fantasy life when I was a kid. And then when I started going to shows, I would be like, oh, that that is that's kind of fucked up, you know? And then I was like, oh, but like the for for me it was like the band Earth Mover. So it was like there was Cold as Life and there was Earth Mover. And then I would go to both those shows and in the beginning, I looked at Coldest Life like, yeah, this is this is me. This is what I'm going to do. And then eventually it was just like, no, this, these are actually my people, you know? And not that Coldest Life aren't my people. Like, I'm friends with some of those dudes. But, like... You're I'm, just cut from a different cloth. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from Canada, just pretty chill and, like, nice. And they were always nice to me. But it was just like, oh, I, ju I just gravitated towards, like, the younger straight-edge kids and not face tattoos and going to jail. Right. You know. Well, so that's an interesting thing that I think is worth kind of talking about is there's sort of a perception that those like face tattoo guys that go to jail are assholes at shows and beating everyone up and bullying everyone and stuff. And that's kind of what I expected because we didn't have any of that around here when I was a kid. And then I moved to Cleveland in 96 and some of there were some people like that. You know, I mean, that's not too far away from Detroit. Yeah. You know, it's like that. And I was expecting those people to be giant assholes because that's what everybody said in the zines and stuff like that. And they were actually all super nice. Oh, I've super never nice. had a single bad experience with any of those type of people. Yeah, like my band in high school, like my first real hardcore band or whatever, we played Cold as Life CD, like Born to Land Hard CD release show. Oh, shit. And Jeff G, the singer, who's now in prison, which is a bum out, you know, but he, call, he called my mom's house to like, talk to me about it and like the whole I'm like oh my god Jeff G's calling like this is my mom would be like Chris Jeff is on the phone Dude, I would still and, be excited you if know Jeff and I'm like house. I'm like this isn't to me I was just like blown away I'm like this is insane but they were they just like I don't know they just like respected what we were doing you know probably because at that point it was like I already figured out like oh I'm not like them mm -hmm. but I could still love their music you know and I could still go and fuck and like pit mm -hmm. you know and just have a good time but I feel like whether you're a real like tough guy or goon or whatever, you know, like that, 
you like you'll see if someone's trying to fake be a tough guy you know right. and i never tried to do that like when i was real young i thought that's what i wanted to do but as i actually became like involved in the scene it was just kind of like oh this is just me and everyone's like all right okay cool you get <laughs> you know? a little bit closer yeah. and see what it is and you're like oh uh yeah yeah uh, you know what <laughs> i'm gonna pass yeah so i never I, for me personally i just never tried to like pose as a tough guy or have like a thing i just like i just want to jump on people and sing along and like oh you guys are fighting that's probably a bad idea right you know like that was always my vibe it was interesting to me that i kind of realized i don't know if this is your experience but i realized that I, I i had been deceived a little bit um by you know the scene that i was told that they were the bad guys and it turns out they were actually really nice and the people that said they were the bad guys or oftentimes the gossipy, shit-talking oh, jerks. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I was like, oh, this is the exact opposite of what I thought it was. I feel, I mean, I feel like that happens with everything. Like, even we got, like, uh, by the time I started playing in Walls of Jericho, we got in shit for, we had signed to Trust Kill, and, like, the kids at the, the scene at the time was upset with that. Like, we were sellouts for signing to Trust Kill, which at the time, the big Trust Kill bands were, like, Harvest. <laughs> You know what right. I mean? Like that was selling out. Like it wasn't, this is pre poison the well bleeding through like all that shit. You know, it was like harvest and despair. And to me, I was like, yeah, we're doing it. This is going to be fun. We're on a real hardcore label. This is going to be fucking awesome. And they put out an ad that uh, Candace, our singer was wearing a wristband. Cause for some reason we made up this thing where we're like, we're all going to wear wristbands cause it's fun or whatever, you know? And she had one that had a, she was wearing a Nike wristband and it had like a swoosh on uh -oh. it. And fucking that ad got plastered out and everyone freaked out. Like people were like upset. Like there were certain venues that didn't want us to like play their venue because we're supporting Nike and like all this shit. And I'm like, what is like, what is happening? Right. We did, we literally are the same people from like we I've been wearing Nikes. You never complained before. It was just like as soon as we like signed a trust kill and had ads or posters like it was a sellout. It was weird. Well, weird time. <laughs> so all that being said, I think, you know, both of us look back on that time fondly, like we were just talking about. What is it about that era that stands out to you? Like, what's the good side of it? That's the era for me where I made like lifelong friendships. Like there's people, there's people that I'm friends with that still go to shows and they're from that era. And there's people I'm friends with that I'll be friends with for the rest of my life that aren't even involved in hardcore anymore, but we're so active at the time like i for me it just felt like that's all we had you know and it felt like important in some way like i f i felt in the moment like it was truly like a movement of like oh we could possibly change the world and fuck it. like it just felt great so it's like i've always wanted to be able to recapture that energy so even with stick to your guns it's like that's what I personally strive for. I, I want it to be like when we walk out on stage, not that we're like uber vegan straight edge or anything like that, but when I would go to an Earth Crisis show back then and they would walk out and they all had camo pants on or some shit like that, I'd be like, oh, shit's about to get real. <laughs> you know, like this is, like it gave me a vibe. Totally. And it's like, I've always, I just love that vibe. I've always been chasing it, I guess. You know? How would you describe that vibe exactly? Is it about like the message or just or it's it? not even the message because even like Cold as Life had that vibe. They would walk yeah. out on stage, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's about to fucking go. Yeah. You know? And like I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like I don't know if it's the message or if it's like 
just how the people in the bands carry themselves. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there was always, there was like an energy there that I feel when I go see, I don't want to make it sound like I'm an old guy shitting on new bands, but when I go see newer bands, it's like lacking. But then a band like Knock Loose comes along and then I'm like, oh, it's there. You know, like that, that whole tour to me felt like I, that could have been like the California takeover to me or something, you know, like even though I never flew out to California for that shit, but I got to see all those bands back then. And anytime Earth Crisis would come or Snapcase would come, it was just the entire scene showed up and everyone crawled on each other and sang along. And that's the same vibe that happened when we were out with Knock Loose. Well, Terror for sure had that. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Totally. The, I mean, they still do, but yeah, know, no, they, Terror does. There's still the, bands that definitely do, but I feel like. At least when I go to like shows locally now, it's like a lot of fucking huge horseshoe and like, you know, it, at that time, hardcore, that style of hardcore, the clay was still wet. Like people didn't really know exactly what it was. It was still being figured out, you know, and I think with any kind of scene, whether that's like music or I don't know, like any kind of art, once people sort of define the form, then a lot of people that come afterwards just sort of check off all the boxes of what you do when you're in a straight edge band or what yeah, you yeah. do when you're in a pop punk band. And there's, you know, if you're having fun doing that, then cool. But for me personally, when it becomes just sort of a checklist of things you do, it, it, it loses that sense of like energy that it had to me when like, you know, when Earth Crisis was doing something that was like challenging. You know, and if it's yeah, not challenging sure. anymore, it's just kind of not interesting. And like that show, the Knock Loose show that you guys played, I felt the same thing because all those bands have a unique thing. Like they have that vibe. Like even yeah. CU Space Cowboy, the, I'm pretty sure they were the first band that yeah, played. Yeah, they were the first. I got that vibe from them. What I really loved about that show was that era of victory also had like Snapcase didn't sound like Earth Crisis. Earth Crisis didn't sound like Strife. You know, like everyone had their own identity and that show was like Knock Loose was Knock Loose. Nobody nobody on the bill sounded like Knock Loose. Nobody on the bill sounded like Stick to Your Guns. No one sounded like Rotting Out. No one sounded like Can't. Like everybody had their own identity and it worked. Exactly. Whereas now I feel like there's lots of tours where it's just like you're going to get four bands that sound like Knock Loose and you're going to get four bands that sound like fucking Candy. There really is no one I think that can do Rotting Out. Right. <laughs> other than Rotting Out. Right. Because I think if you tried everyone would be like yeah, you're just jocking Rotting Out right, right now. But um, that's, I think that's part of what's missing. Not missing, because I feel like it's back. Yeah. I guess, you know? But yeah. it was missing for a long time. There was multiple times where it's like every single local band that would open for us sounded like Terror, you know? Right. Just like, oh, huh, right. here's another band that sounded like Terror. There was, you know, the five years or so after the Bridge Nine era, which I think was special in the same way that like the Victory era was. See, I missed out on a lot. I, I didn't, it wasn't my thing necessarily, but Have Heart and those bands, definitely that was a special time. Oh, for sure you know? it was. So I don't care for that style, but it was it was special. And then there was the, you know, five or seven or so years after that, which I call the shitty terror era. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And yeah, it feels like it's back. And it feels like people, you know, people care about something. I guess that's what it is to me is like when I when I feel like a band is just checking all the boxes because they don't really have any better idea, you know, and I, I feel like a band like Sea Space Cowboy and Knock Loose, it feels like they care about something, which to me is the common thread of all the victory yeah. kind of bands. I think it's cool too to see like there was a an era for a while where I feel like 
I'm not saying like their every band needs to be political or have like an agenda kind of thing, but it seemed like for there was an era where it was just music. You know yeah, I mean? it's kind of like, well, why now, would like, you play hardcore if you don't care about yeah, something? Yeah, and now even like a band like Knock Loose, like they're not necessarily like known for, I'm not trying to talk down Brian's lyrics or whatever, but Brian's not saying... Um, super like, deep, profound. Like super shit, yeah. but they'll go and they'll do a shirt and raise money for like domestic violence or whatever and do shit like And I think that's rad. I think that's necessary to be what this is supposed to be, at least to me. Let's talk a little bit more about the friendship thing, because that was another thing that I felt at that show. You know, there's people there that, you know, I saw like Chris from Champion there and some other people that I've known for like 20 plus years. I saw like our neighbor was there who's like 17, <laughs> you know, Sick. I saw him there and everybody in between. Um, and, and that really is like the most special thing to me. I talked about this in the video, but when I would go to those shows, I didn't even know who was playing every show i would just go because i knew that there was going to be 50 people there that i knew and not to say that i'm like mr cool popular guy because i definitely wasn't but like there's people that you would know yeah and that really is the most special part of the whole thing to me the fact that there's people that i've known for 20 some years that i'm closer with than some of my family members and i wonder if that is unique to hardcore or is that just because it's where we come from like is that true are there people in the thrash metal scene that say the same things i, I yeah i, wouldn't I know. feel like it's different but maybe i feel like I'm it's not. different too but yeah i could be wrong because i was never a part of that right know? i always viewed hardcore as like this is my idealistic view of it was like i got into it because i thought metal had ego you know which once like i started becoming like more like full-time touring type thing i started realizing oh all these hardcore kids are just as petty as like these metal dudes <laughs> maybe in slightly you know? different ways and then, but, yeah in different yeah. ways but and then i would like get in situations with metal bands where i was just like these guys are dicks but then i'd meet one where i'm like no these guys are fucking cool as fuck like these guys get it these guys don't get it and i feel like that goes probably in any scene so there has to be a thrash scene where guys right. are like, ah, oh, man, we've been we've been fucking thrashing together since 86, you know, or whatever. Well, I think there's an interesting thing about hardcore, though, where if somebody is still involved in hardcore into, I don't know, let's call it like their mid-20s or something like that, you kind of go one of two ways where you end up doing something that's maybe a little bit cooler than average with your life, or you become a complete loser. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but yeah, like yeah. it's hardcore is an interesting thing where there's there's some really exceptional people, you know, I don't know, like Ben from Dillinger, for example, you know, very exceptional person. And then there's other people that obviously I'm not going to yeah. name anybody, but there's other people that end up like, unfortunately, becoming, you know, kind of burnouts and unhappy people. And I think it's interesting in, in hardcore in particular that there's those two kind of real extremes to me. Yeah, I mean, that probably happens with everything in society, though. You know, somebody gets involved in what if you're a guy who plays backgammon? Yeah, I don't know. Like right. you, you're you're constantly going to pool halls all the time. You're crushing it at the pool hall when you're like 20, and then when you're like 40, they're just kind of like, Is this guy's still here. You That's know? probably true. You or know? or it's like, God damn it, that guy is amazing at pool. And yeah, or, yeah, or that guy's crushing it. He's on the pool tour. Right. I don't know if that's right, like a right, thing, right. but well. So speaking of which, when did you kind of realize or decide? that you were going to, you know, play in hardcore bands for a living, you know, because at a certain uh, point, it's completely like, well, on accident. Yeah. It was never planned. I, 
I mean, I always just wanted to go on tour. That was like the goal. So like my first band was just like, I just want a tour, I just want a tour. And then we hit that age where it's like, people are graduating from high school. Next thing you know, one guy gets a job in a factory. So that kills that. And somebody else gets another job doing something else. And I'm like, what, what is happening? This is, and the whole thing falls apart. Then Earth Mover breaks up. They start a new band. They do a demo and a seven inch. And I was just friends with all of them. And then they needed a guitar player. So then they asked me to play guitar and the phone call that I got paged, which is funny, right? <laughs> I had a pager and I got- what, what is a pager? Tell us what that is because a lot it's, of people uh, don't know what that is. It's uh, in the nineties when uh, someone was trying to get a hold of you because not everyone, no, no one had a phone. You would get a beep. A cell your, phone. Yeah, no one had a cell phone. Everyone just had landlines. So you're and out and about, and, yeah, and there's, pay Chris, there's pay phones everywhere, and you're driving around with your friends, and all of a sudden you get a page that has somebody's phone number that you don't know. You pull over, you go to a pay phone, you call it, and then you're like, yo, did someone page me? And then the guy on the line goes, yeah, it's Mike from Walls of Jericho. And I was like, oh, shit, what's up? And he's like, hey, you want to join Walls of Jericho? And I was just like, all right. <laughs> it was so, what a weird way to join a band now, saying that <laughs> in current times, but... Yeah, now, that, nowadays that, back then a, that was completely normal. Sending an Instagram DM. I actually joined officially joined the band at a trial show. Mm. Yeah, I went to see Trial Botch and Walls of Jericho. They he paged me to like come and like try out, and I tried out, and then I went to that show, and then uh, they were like, "Hey, join the band. We're going on tour next week. Quit your job." And I was just like, "All right." So this is like 2002-ish. No, this is like '99. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The end of. 99. So they had they had done a seven inch, but not a full length yet. Got it. Yeah. And then you did that for a few years and, you know, still at that point, you're, you know, young enough that you could still decide to do something else with your life. Yeah. And I honestly, I never, even when we did a, did our first record on Trustkill, I was just like, okay, well, I'll probably go to Europe and then I'll quit because hardcore bands do like a seven inch and a full length. And then they're like, that's what I thought the lifespan of this was. So I just wanted to like, travel the country maybe once or twice maybe get to europe that would be tight and it would be over but then it just like just kept snowballing kind of thing and i never thought about it it was always just like moving the goalpost of like okay well now i went to europe well the band's not breaking up we're still all friends so now we're gonna do this and now we're gonna do this and then ended up doing that for so long that it got to the point where it's like we're all adults and then our singer got married Started started a family, she got pregnant, and then we we're like, well, you can't go on tour with a pregnant lady screaming and jumping on people. That's just a weird look. So then I heard about, I was friend. we had taken Stick to Your Guns to Europe. I was friends with them, and then I heard they needed a guitar player, so then I just hit them up because I, I was going to go back to school, but the, our touring schedule made it so I missed the fall semester. So then I was like, oh, fuck, well, I guess I'll probably go in January. And I hit up Stick to Your Guns and went, I heard you need a guitar player. I'm going to be doing nothing until January. And then they were like, help us write a record. 12 then, years later or yeah whatever, yeah now are. i've been in the band and now i've been in stick to your guns for like 10 years which is crazy what were you gonna go to school for honestly i don't know i just thought well i gotta do something i was getting ready to plan it out i had started before i joined was Wal jericho i was going to school for electronics engineering and then i dropped out to go on tour that's not an easy major yeah i only did one semester okay. and then, <laughs> then i focused on riffs okay so <laughs> Yeah, when you when you realize you're gonna have to take like six quarters of calculus, you're like, yeah. hey, you know, maybe I'll do the riffs. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And you're a couple years younger than me, I think, maybe, but not How old much. are you? 41? 40. Okay, so yeah. just barely, yeah. I, as I like to say, I just turned 30 11 years ago. <laughs> I always, I'm starting to feel weird about saying my age now oh, for some reason. God, I hate it. It's awful. And I'm mostly weird about it because it's like, okay, so we just played this show, you know, and like that, that crowd's really young. Yeah. And it just makes me, like, I start to be like, oh, man. Like these kids don't want to see their uncle like <laughs> on stage, like jumping around, you know? So I, I consciously am like, at some point, someone's going to look up at me and go, I don't relate to that guy. He's not like me. The same way I looked at Cold as Life and went, I'm not so much like them. I'm like this, you know? And I feel it's at least punk, hardcore and stuff. And even like hip hop probably is like, it's a young person's game. It is. I think you that's- don't age well. I think that's less true now than it was 20 years ago, but it's definitely true. Like, yeah. I feel like you could be old and like AF still does shit. And it's, sure. And it's awesome. And yeah, it's inspiring. Scott, you know, Scott Vogel's older Sigurd than all us. all the stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
But the current relevant shit is not close. Those dudes are like 22. Right. You know? You're like the young as fuck. So right. it just makes me go like, oh, fuck, man. I'm, I'm as old as Brian from Knock Loose's girlfriend, so that's her, like, merch girl, as her mom. <sighs> it's crazy. <laughs> and, like, my wife came out to our, the show we played in Chicago, and her mom came out, and she was like, you got to meet my mom. And I, like, met her and stuff, right. and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> what, what am I doing? Like, is this a, is this a time? <laughs> like, well, how do you feel about that? Uh, part of me thinks it's cool. So, you know, part of me is like, holy shit. Like, I, I always look at my life in like, uh, I don't know, like chunks of what normal people have to do. Mm-hmm. And I always go like, okay, well, if I were to stop today, like I've been basically touring full time for like 20 years, you know? So if I were to stop today, I'm like, I would only have to be a normal person till I'm 65, you know? So that's only this small chunk. And then I'm like, oh, well, if I go to 50, <laughs> you know, like I'm always just like, oh, that's crazy. Like, even if it ended today, I'm grateful. Like, I feel like I never anticipated any of this. So it's a good run. I think about the same thing all the time. Obviously, my audience is primarily quite a bit younger than me. Same thing. And I'm just like, God, am I, you know, does someone be like, oh, I got into this because my dad was into Earth Crisis. And I'm like, fuck. Uh, Oh, no. And I have that same kind of question of like, what am I doing? You know, but then on the other hand, I think like, well, man, what if a bunch of 18 year olds are listening to 22 year olds tell them what to do with their lives? I'm like, I can't let that happen. That'd be awful. (laughs) Honestly, I feel like being around a band like Knock Loose, like is inspiring to me. Like I try to make it so it's like, I don't want to like look down at like, the younger kids doing something new like i wanted to be i want to be inspired by it and i look for things that how i can learn from them you know the same way that like i have discussions with them that i know like we talk about like oh if you're buying a house blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know like right I, and anything from like oh guitar tones and stuff like i'll take anything from anyone that i think is i don't know doing something if you can like, learn worthwhile. from somebody yeah yeah do it yeah and I feel like a lot of older people are just like, oh, this isn't hardcore. This isn't that. Or like, I remember you, you hit a certain age and then you just turn into a shitty old guy. And right. I, like, I consciously fight that. Like when I was a kid listening to, you know, whatever, Sepultura or something, and some old person would tell me to, you know, turn that shit off and listen to television or X. And I would yeah. be like, but that sounds terrible to me. That sounds like boring 70s rock. And you know, if people like that stuff, that's cool. But the point is, like, nobody wants that old person to come along and tell them to stop enjoying something. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's such a weird impulse. Yeah, there was, when I was a kid, like, anytime someone, like, like people will attack Stick to Your Guns and say, like, Stick to Your Guns isn't a hardcore band. Yeah. yeah blah, 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 whatever, you know? Or, like, almost think it's, like, a like a diss to, like, refer to us as, like, oh, we're, like, an entry-level yeah. band, you know? Which I think, I take it as, like, a compliment more than anything like when i hear that i go like oh like all the other bands that i grew up that like truly impacted my life like that's how i view it so like when i was a kid i would have older hardcore kids who were like older skinhead dudes like that would like hang around my sister and stuff dudes would just be like this isn't hardcore like earth crisis and that's metal you know because they want punk right you know so when they're saying that and I'm a kid, I'm like, no, this is hardcore. I used to pride myself on being like, 
oh, you like old school hardcore? I like new school right. hardcore. You know, like I used to pride myself yeah. on that shit, which is funny now because like what's new, the shit I like is like middle school. Right. I don't know what the fuck that is, you know, but I just don't want to do that to anybody ever like put down their music or I don't know. I'm just rambling now. <laughs> well, let's talk about that with with Stick to Your Guns because I think it's I think it's true that Stick to Your Guns is an entry level band. Like you said, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Yeah, entry to me, entry oh like Earth Crisis or Snapcase, you know, like that's like, they they got to the point where those bands were entry level bands, you know, right? So it's like, and it's twenty twenty, and we're still talking about them. So that's fucking cool. They did something. Yeah, and for you guys. It's an interesting thing. We've talked about this before where you guys have consciously made a, and tell me if I'm getting anything wrong here, but consciously made a decision to be like a scene-friendly band. But you guys are all, you know, guys from the hardcore scene talking about the same stuff that hardcore bands talk about. I mean, it it, it, is, it is hardcore in spirit. The packaging is just a little bit different. Yeah. I don't know if it's like on purpose or not i know it's on it's it's or at least you're okay with it yeah to me it's more of just like i identify as even though i just i feel like a hardcore kid even though i'm like fucking 40 or whatever you yeah. know like when i when i'm listening to music to inspire me to like write new songs i'm listening to turmoil you know like i'm not listening to what a scene band like Beartooth is yeah. doing. And not they can do their own thing. That's fucking cool. But I'm listening to that, and then I'm trying to just write good songs. That's all I'm ever trying to but, do. But I mean, you guys have singing, not just screaming. Yeah. I mean, even but also like itself. VOD did. So like everything that we do to me is I view it as hardcore. Even though I get people going like, "Oh, you're not a hardcore band," but I feel like it's mostly associated with we're willing to try to branch out and play to anyone. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel like the backlash it. I don't feel like we have a backlash, but like anybody who would yeah. say different about our band, it's because they don't like the bands that we'll associate ourselves with. And that was one of the, I think, most important things that the you know, 90s hardcore bands like VOD and Snapcase and Earth Crisis did was they went out with metal bands. They would go out with Machine Head and Sepultura and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, Earth Crisis on, on OzFest. And for sure that got some chunk of that metal audience into hardcore. Oh, 100%. Even like Walls of Jericho a long time. This These bands very much, I feel like laid the blueprint for how I would say a band like Stick to Your Guns operates and stuff. But we were on tour with, uh, not Stick to Your Guns, but Walls of Jericho was on tour with Matt Ball one time. We got a tour offer for a band. I'm just gonna not say who the band is. But uh, we got a tour offer and we were going to headline. And this was at a time where this is before we had done like OzFest stuff. So this is the beginning of us about to like cross over. And we were nervous about how people would interpret that, you know. So this is like 2003 or some shit like that. People being like people, people being hardcore, hardcore kids. Yeah. yeah, hardcore kids. We didn't want to. We already had like this weird thing with like their Nike logos. We didn't want to alienate people, really, because we were like, these are our people. You know, we want them, We you want people like you, yeah. you know? And then we're on tour with Madball, and we were talking to them about this offer. Should we do it? Blah, 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 and all this shit. And those dudes were just like, yo, AF went out with, like, obituary, you know? They were just like, they the scene almost 
like they helped build the scene they built the scene by doing shit like that and then like was jericho got taken out by sick of it all a bunch of times and we would talk to them about it and they would just be like oh well we went out and we opened for slayer mm-hmm. you know and then we were just like oh. i saw sick of it all uh well actually i guess it was the other way around but i saw corn open for sick of it all yeah yeah i guess they at the time i viewed them as like the gatekeepers of what hardcore is and stuff they were like pushing us to do that shit well, so, I mean, that's fair know, to me if Madball and Sick of It All are telling you to do something. Yeah, you like know, they were like pushing out. They were like, no, go out and get, reach as many people as possible because this is this is how this whole thing was built. And they like, I mean, the other guys in Walls Jericho are a little older than me. And like even talking with them, they would just be like, oh, yeah, fucking Cro-Mags went out with Megadeth, you know, and mm-hmm. like all this shit. And that's how we justified all of our moves, you know, and now with Stick to Your Guns, it's like we don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, we got this offer for Beartooth and motionless this will be big a lot of these people aren't going to know who we are mm-hmm. let's fucking rope them in you know well and i talked about this a little bit in my earth crisis video which i don't know if you saw that or not but oh i did I, I, anytime you go 90s I okay. <laughs> okay i really do think that those bands did make an impact on the world you know because like i talked earth about crisis that, did Ozfest. yeah and yeah. and because of that you know people like Davey Havoc or Andy from Fallout Boy, and I'm not saying that you know they went vegan because of Earth Crisis necessarily, though I guess they pretty much said that. Yeah. You know how many people got into veganism because of Andy or Davey? Probably a lot. You know, there's a very direct path towards if you have a message that you believe is worth saying it. Saying like, why would you limit the reach of that message? You know, yeah. I mean, it's a very direct and- path to this. And for the most part, hardcore kids, I feel like, get it. So why would you, right. like, they everything you're going to say at a hardcore show, the majority of the crowd understands already what you're going to say before you even say it. You know? Right. So why would you, you, you got to go speak to the kids at the Beartooth show. Like, all know? those, there's all those kids there to see Motionless wearing, like, the fishnet, you know, uh, arm stocking things. I don't know what you call those, <laughs> and, like yeah. the black lipstick and stuff, you know, and Jesse's talking about like, you know, uh, about unions. Yeah. That's probably not a thing that they're used to bands talking about. Oh and, yeah, for sure. And at least one of them is going to go, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to go look that up. Or one of them's going to go, oh, my dad's in a union. Oh, these guys are like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what's going Or gonna... they might go home yeah, no, and totally. ask their dad about it. Like, no, oh, totally. I, wh- what were you saying about unions the other day? Actually, there's an interesting thing to talk about on the topic of hardcore is there's a lot of black and white thinking in hardcore. And that's probably because a lot of people talking about this stuff are 19 years old or whatever. And when you're 19, you think everything is very simple. And with things like unions or anything else that involve millions of people in very complex systems, it's not, you know, it's not that unions are good or bad or that corporations are good or bad. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. There's a lot of shades of gray, which is the thing that hardcore is not necessarily great. There's not a lot of hardcore songs like this next song called It Depends. We should sit down and talk about it for a while because it gets complicated. <laughs> That's hilarious. There's also not a lot of hardcore songs called Think Twice Before Sharing Your Opinion because it might alienate people and it could be a better idea to keep it to yourself until there's a better time. Yeah, I like, uh, you should just ch- chill and let all the facts roll in for <laughs> That yeah. should be a song. That's, there's, that's not a hardcore song. Yeah. Definitely not. I feel like I've only learned that in like, older age i guess 
because I was definitely quick when I was younger to just be like, take a hard stance on something, you know, and just be like, rah, rah, rah. like I was vegetarian for a long time. And I remember having a conversation with my mom about like, I'm, I'm vegetarian because the, these corporations and the government, you know, like the whatever 90s reciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I was just so like, all in, I'm vegetarian and fuck the government, you right, know, kind right. of thing. And like, no, the older I get, I'm just kind of like, I'm just not going to say stuff because I know when I say certain things, I sound stupid, <laughs> you know? Or the other person is just not going to hear it. And all I'm going to do is drive a wedge between the two of us without improving anybody's situation. It's a, a lesson, you know, I got encouraged to share my opinions a lot through hardcore and my mom always told me to share my opinion and stuff like that and it, it took me until i was probably my late 20s uh to realize and I, I still probably need to realize it on a daily basis that sometimes it's better to like you said shut up let the facts roll in or shut up and let somebody else talk I remember having a, a yeah i like listening that's my just like i'm gonna listen i'm just gonna take it all in it's a good hack i remember one time this uh, design agency I was working at, the uh, owner was this kind of real, like old school, hard ass, like Midwestern football coach kind of guy in a good way. He was a great guy, but he was just the kind of guy that was going to give it to you straight. And I was asking him, it wasn't really a promotion. I just wanted to take on this new sort of set of responsibilities. And uh, I sort of laid it all out for him. Like, here's what I want to do and why and why, you know, I should be the one to do it. And he's like, okay, just have one question for you. I was like, what's that? I said, can you shut the fuck up and let other people talk for once? And I was like, yep. Oh. I was like, okay then. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. But he was right. I needed to learn that. Yeah, I definitely, I don't know. I, I think I got, I got in shit with like a group of friends of mine a long time ago where I realized like, I was just like, oh, I just run my mouth too much. And then I, make a conscious effort to just kind of be like, okay, what's everybody saying? All right, cool. It's hard for me to imagine you as that person. I also used to have a very bad temper, which is kind of crazy. I would, when I was a kid, I'd be like trying to like learning how to play guitar and tuning a string and then I'd break a string and then I'd go into the hallway and just like bust up drywall. Wow. You know, like I was not chill. What changed that? That seems like the exact opposite of who you are now. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I think I just started realizing those things about myself and then going like, oh, this is not a good person. I don't want to hang out with that person. So I definitely don't want to be that person. Yeah. So now it's just like, I don't know. I maybe now, I mean, all of these changes happened before I became a dad, but now that I'm a dad, it's even like, I'm like even more hippie. Yeah. Shit. So. Well, it's scary how much we don't, we don't have kids, but we spend a fair amount of time around uh, our niece and nephew. And it's really scary how much they mirror your behavior totally for better or for worse yeah it doesn't matter what you tell them they're just gonna mimic your your own actions so because i could tell my alice i'll have to tell my kid something like 20 times but if i like she just started saying like damn it because i'll like oh if i do something i'll be like god damn it damn it uh -huh. you know like that and i could tell her over and over again not to say it but she's she's already just like oh damn it's fucking cool right, <laughs> right. like I'm just like ah. when daddy doesn't get what he wants he punches the wall yeah oh yeah i'm glad i'm not like that anymore i mean my wife probably wouldn't have had a kid with me so 
Yeah, she is. Yeah, she, I, I, we probably wouldn't even be together right. if I was still that person. So, Well, if, if you don't mind me asking, what, uh, what did change for you having a kid? Uh, she's like three? Five. Now? Five, jeez. Yeah, she's five. I don't, that's, that's a tough question. Because all the super cheesy things you've probably heard before about having a kid mm-hmm. are 1,000% true. But the way I can I try to describe it the most to people who don't have kids is I thought I understood love and I thought that I was like a not a selfish person before having a kid. You know, like I'd be like, oh, no, I'm giving and I'll share with mm-hmm. my friends and stuff like that. But you don't realize I feel like now I realize like, oh, I'm truly selfless. Like I can like go without so my kid can have something, you know? And it, that's the that's the thing for me that's the most like, I feel like I notice that with other like friends of mine who are parents and stuff too, and friends of mine who don't have kids. Like, it's almost like, a, I'm not trying to talk down to someone who doesn't have a kid, but I feel like people are just more selfish, you know? There are sure. probably parents out there who are still selfish because there's parents out there who beat their kids and I don't understand that either. But it's like, I used to like spend X amount of money on shoes and I used to like just do all this stuff. And now it's like I could be eating something and so hungry and my kid could just my daughter could just be like, I I need that. I'm hungry. And I don't even hesitate. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm so hungry. I need nutrients. I would give her all of the nutrients without even thinking, you know. Is that a switch that just kind of flipped or is that something, doesn't sound like you had to work on it. No, I, I think for me, I feel like it just happened. It was like, she's born and now I'm in this, like, I have to make sure she's surviving. And now she's like a little person with a personality and everything. And it's like, I don't know, it's crazy. Maybe it's also fucks them up if you give them too much, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Nobody knows how to parent, I right. guess. Well, I've heard that there's a, a pretty common thing with men where they for like the first six months or a year don't really have that kind of emotional connection with their oh kid. I, I had it immediately it was insane my daughter was born we had a home birth but uh when she first came out we had like a midwife at the house and she wasn't breathing or oh, wow. at first like it was just like a, they put her on my wife's chest is and- that normal I don't Ish. know. I've only had one kid, yeah. so it's normal to me. It was, uh, but I was terrified, you know? And my wife starts, like, hitting her, and she's like, she's not breathing. Make her cry. Make her cry. And, like, I, the midwife and, like, my wife are smacking the shit out of her. And basically, she, the midwife just kind of, like, pushed me out of the way. Like, I was, like, this useless <laughs> bag of meat just in the way, like, in shock, you know? And then when she started crying, I just left my wife with her, you know? Like, I, I it was too overwhelming for me i just left and went and like sat on the stairs like outside and just i cried like i couldn't like handle like i was just like this is insane like everything about it was all of a sudden just like i'm a new person this is crazy right. how do i do this like bananas the thing that is weird to me or i guess intimidating to me I'm not super worried about you know being a decent parent you know in year two or three or something, but it's like the first night of like, oh, the first okay, night's here's terrifying. a kid that you have to take care of. She had her, I think the first night she slept through the night pretty good. And I was like, oh, we got this. This is no problem. The second night she was just like, ah, like typical baby shit that you see in movies that you're like, mm-hmm. and I'm running around like holding this baby, <laughs> looking at my wife and going, we can't do this. We don't know what we're doing. We have no idea what we're doing. It's fucking banana. It's so insane. But everybody else figures it out. I mean, you think yeah. about like even total idiots end up 
being perfectly good parents and if they can figure it out then yeah there's anybody can yeah there's definitely like i feel like there's just, just like you feel like there's new emotions and stuff that like didn't exist before and i feel like it's similar if you talk to another parent you don't even really have to talk about it it's like every, i feel like they just get it or whatever and when you're talking to someone else i feel like it would be like trying to explain a color to a blind person you know like you can't you can't i wouldn't even know how to try to explain the color blue to someone who's never seen blue before you know so that's yeah i feel like it just changes you well i'm looking forward to it so uh when it happens having a baby not anytime i mean not not currently I mean, it's not happening now, but <laughs> oh, it's gonna be awesome! Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So I'll I'll probably ask you for some uh, for some pointers when it happens. Now it's funny because I get a lot of I get hit up a lot from different people who tour, who are about to have kids that mm. are just like, oh, how do you do it? Blah blah blah. Like, <laughs> like how's this gonna work? Like, you're just freaking out. It's kind of it's like kind of cool that there's like a whole group of like dads. It I is guess, cool. Yeah, that like hit me up and ask for advice and stuff and. I have friends that I hit up and ask them for advice. So cool. We're running out of time here. So thank you so much for making time for this. Always good to see you. And yeah, we'll yeah, see no you problem. next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.